Ladies and gentlemen, you are now listening to the Fantasy Baseball Hour with Al Melchior. Welcome, everybody. This sounds a little bit different today. Uh, you don't need to change your dial or anything. This is the same show. Uh, I'm your host, Al Melchior, but uh, coming in today with a different name, Fantasy Baseball Hour with Al Melchior. So uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Uh, so all the same good stuff at the same time in the same place, except today it's going to be even a little bit better because I'm going to have two guests on the show. Uh, Keith Farnsworth from Fantrax. He was here last week, and we got to maybe half the stuff we actually planned on talking about. So uh, <laughs> I decided to bring him back ASAP. So he's going to be here. We're going to talk about uh, several of the players on the player profiles that he's been doing for Fantrax, which I highly recommend you go check out. Uh, so yeah, Keith Farnsworth will be with us. And also, if memory's serving me, uh, I'm pretty sure this uh, first timer on the show from Baseball Prospectus, Brett Sayer, one of the best dynasty analysts out there, and uh, haven't really done too much with uh, dynasty strategy or talking about players from a dynasty perspective so far this offseason. I thought I was long overdue for that, so I asked Brett to join us, and graciously, he uh, agreed to come on the show today. So uh, he will be here later as well. Uh, so we got that to look forward to. We've got a big, big star on the move. We have uh, an injury to a workhorse pitcher to talk about. A little bit of uh, rumor mongering to get to here. Uh, frankly, not that much else going on. But yeah, the, the, the big, big star on the move. This is a terrible, terrible tease. I'm talking about Russell Wilson. So rug sport, of course, but uh, Russell Wilson actually being traded in baseball from the Texas Rangers to the New York Yankees for uh, cash considerations. And uh, it, it's pretty much just, uh, uh, you know, a, a cosmetic move. Uh, Russell Wilson uh, is planning on turning up in Yankees spring training. So that'll be pretty cool, especially if you're there in the Tampa area to maybe check that out, but he has not played organized baseball since 2011. He was drafted by the Rockies, played a couple years in the lower minors with them, actually put up some not, not terrible stats, uh, as you would expect, uh, showed uh, a well-rounded skill set. But uh, obviously, uh, football came calling. He hasn't uh, played, uh, played since. So uh, big news that's, not, that's fun news, but not really big news. So on to uh, some some fantasy relevant developments here. Uh, Irvin Santana he had surgery on his right middle finger. Uh, he had uh, an injury there that was due to just repetitive stress. So there wasn't any particular thing that happened this off season. It was just the repetitive stress, quite likely of pitching 211 in a third innings last year. Uh, but he's going to be out at least 10 weeks from night right now, possibly as long as 12 weeks. So if you're going to be planning this conservatively and you're either carrying over Irvin Santana on your keeper team or uh, you've already had a draft or you're thinking of drafting Irvin Santana, just be aware that uh, you should plan on him missing about a quarter of the season. Because if we, if we go with that 12 weeks figure, that's going to you know take them. Uh, well, I guess not quite into mid-February. Maybe a quarter is a little too 
a little too conservative, but he's going to miss more than a month. It would seem uh, if it's going to be less than that, it would be pretty, pretty lucky. So uh, last year, of course, Santana had one of his better seasons, went 16 and eight for the twins, finished with a 3.28 ERA and a 1.13 whip. Those numbers were certainly helped out by a much higher than normal strand rate, normal for him and normal for major league pitchers and a pretty low BABIP. I don't necessarily buy the strand rate, but the BABIP, maybe there's there's a little something to him being better than average. I'm not saying, you know, in, in the 240 neighborhood of BABIP, but he was very, very good last year at inducing soft contact. So, uh, you know, the, I would expect the ERA and WHIP to rise independent of any sort of health concern for, for Irvin Santana. And with this this finger injury and given the amount of time that he's going to be out, I have less concern here about him coming back far below 100% that I would, you know, with a, a pitcher coming back from a, a serious shoulder or, or elbow issue uh, as an example. So uh, that I, I wouldn't downgrade Santana for, but you do have to account for the fact that he's going to miss uh, most likely a, a month or more. Now, as far as the Twins rotation, it, it looks quite a bit different without Santana in there because uh, you've got Jose Barrios, who's definitely a legit number two starter. Uh, maybe you could even argue that, you know, this year he rises to the, the status of a true ace. And then you got Kyle Gibson. He, he's pretty much the number two guy at this point. De facto number two guy with Santana out. Big difference. I mean, Gibson is a number three starter. Yeah, you get that, that, you, you, uh, you know, ideally like to have somebody a little bit better than Gibson uh, in that spot. Now he's moved up to number two, and then you've got three spots to fill. Now, of course, the Twins have been repeatedly, reportedly <laughs> on the the lookout for a starting pitcher, and you can understand why. Again, when you've got you know Kyle Gibson uh, at number three, uh, Adalberto Mejia, I think uh, pretty widely accepted as the number four starter in that rotation. Um, you know, there, there needs to be some depth and, and improvement at the top and in the middle of that rotation. So, of course, the Twins have been interested in you, Darvish. Uh, they would certainly, I think, have an interest in Jake Arrieta, although I haven't read as much about that. But the, the interest in Darvish has been well documented. So now they just have even more incentive and maybe more incentive to go after that next group of pitchers. Uh, that would include uh, players like Lance Lynn or Alex Cobb. Uh, so I'm sure we'll be hearing and reading a lot more about the Twins pursuit of starting pitching, given this development with Irvin Santana as it stands right now. And that's with a big honking bull-faced asterisk <laughs> as it stands right now. Uh, the following pitchers would be in the mix for those last three spots. Mejia, as I mentioned, Aaron Slagers, who's been a little bit of time in the rotation last year, Fernando Romero, who uh, is a, a nice prospect with uh, some good, strong ground ball tendencies. One of their better prospects, Steven Gonzalez, he could start the year in the rotation, depending on what moves the Twins make or don't make. So according to a report from MLB.com, those four pitchers, Mejia, Slagers, Romero, and Gonzalez, could all be in the mix for rotation spot. And again, think about this. Even if they went out and got Darvish, even if they went out and got somebody like a Lance Lynn, you still need a fifth starter till Santana comes back. So I would think 
Mejia, unless he has a terrible spring, he's going to be in there. Whether it's short-term or long-term, he's going to be in that picture somehow. And then maybe one of the other three, Slagers, Romero, Gonzalez, uh, they might even be in there depending on what happens. And Romero and Gonzalez in particular, I think, are are kind of intriguing. Uh, Now, I'm going to throw one more name in there based on this report from MLB.com. Phil Hughes, who is coming back from thoracic outlet syndrome, he's expected to be ready for spring training. So I would think he'd be at a disadvantage against those other pitchers in some sort of competition, but he'll be there in spring training. So I would think he'd be be part of that mix as well. And I'm going to throw one more name into the mix. Uh, actually, I'm going to throw two more that were, were mentioned in this report. One was uh, Tyler Duffy, who was not specifically mentioned as somebody who's competing for a rotation spot, but he is being stretched out as a starter this spring. So I don't know if that means that he will become a part of that mix or if he's just going to be a part of the, the depth equation as the season goes on. And as we've seen year after year, that those sixth, seventh, eighth starters, they they can have some value uh, because there's always injuries and and particularly last season we really saw it come into play that the starting pitchers are uh, putting up fewer and fewer innings. So maybe Tyler Duffy becomes uh, a starter again at some point this year. And then the final name I'm going to throw out there, and this one really caught my attention, and not only because he's actually been on the show. But Trevor May, uh, as as uh, I'm sure we all know, he's been working his way back from uh, Tommy John surgery. But last we saw Trevor May, he was a reliever and a, and a pretty good one at that. Uh, so he was mentioned in, in this whole mix of starting pitchers and pitchers getting stretched out in this article. So he's not going to be back till May. He's not going to be back until probably right around the time that Irvin Santana comes back. But. If he was for sure going back to the bullpen, I'm not even sure why he was worth the mention in this piece. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but that to me would be really intriguing to see Trevor May become a starter again. And given the depth issues right now that the Twins have, that could make a whole lot of sense. Uh, he was quite good for most of his time as a, as a reliever. He had ups and downs as a starter, but he had, he had really begun to put it together. Uh, at one point, so I, you know, that to me would be pretty interesting news. He'd be somebody who, who ideally could be relevant in a twelve-team mixed league if uh, if he were getting starters innings. And again, there's all kinds of risk here when he comes back. I mean, May is the targeted uh, rough date, uh, but you know, does he actually come back in May? Even though that's his name, and how ready is he when he comes back? So that's all intriguing stuff uh, to follow. Uh, we have J.D. Martinez news kind of sort of here. Nothing really uh, changing in terms of, of his status, but he apparently is very frustrated with the Red Sox uh, and, and to the point where he has said that he would rather sign with any other team or not. not, not I shouldn't say any other team, but he'd rather sign with a team other than the Red Sox because of his level of frustration with the, the negotiations. Uh, this according to Ken Rosenthal. In fact, he said he was fed up so I don't know. Uh, it has been posited by many that this is just mere posturing. It kind of looks that way to me from my spectator seat here, because I have obviously no inside information on uh, the negotiations between J.D. Martins and the Red Sox. But uh, if anything else, it's just 
another signal that the players are very angry and frustrated, and I believe rightfully so, with how things have transpired this offseason. Tim Lincecum has been in the news for the last day or so, and that's because he has scheduled a showcase. Uh, He's going to pitch uh, for representatives of teams on Thursday, February 15th. And um, the last time we saw him in the majors, two seasons ago, 2016, the Angels signed him after a similar showcase. So, you know, reading about this, that, that brought my memory back to the buzz that was created at that point that Litzkin was pitching for teams. He was making a comeback. And the, the comeback attempt that actually did occur was, was pretty ugly with an ERA over nine. And he made just nine starts for the Angels. But something that may be a little bit different this time around, uh, according to the San Francisco Chronicles, Hank Schulman, that uh, there's it's been rumored. And again, so I don't know how reliable this is. I don't know where the rumors are coming from, but it's been rumored that Lincecum in his workouts has been throwing 95 miles an hour. Which is puts him right back sort of in his where he was in his peak early years. The last two seasons, 2015, 2016. As fastball, he was averaging less than 88 miles an hour. So that would be a huge change. It would be, as they say, big if true, if uh, Litzkum is really throwing that hard. Uh, the Orioles continue their look for pitching. Uh, I've mentioned on this show in the past that they've had an interest in Andrew Kashner. That continues. They also may be interested in bringing back Chris Tillman. And they're taking a look at Alex Cobb, Lance Lynn, and Jason Vargas, among others. In other words, it sounds like pretty much Every pitcher on the market that's not uh, Arietta or Darvish, that might be exaggerated, but you get the idea. They're looking at a lot of available uh, starting pitcher options. They do want to go with the short-term deal. All this, according to Jerry Krasnick of ESPN, Peter Angelos does not want to go to four years, given what happened with Ubaldo Jimenez. And that is, of course, completely understandable. So um, what I'd like to do before we head to break in a few minutes is pick up uh, somewhere that I was not able to go on Tuesday's show, which was to take the next step in my outliers. I don't even want to say rankings because I'll have them ranked, but my outliers list, my 10 outliers that I'm going to watch very closely this year. And uh, that Orioles bit provides me with a neat little segue because my player that I want to focus on today is Wade Miley, who's a free agent now, but last pitch for the Orioles. And uh, just to remind you, the first outlier player that I focused on was Jake Odorizzi, who had some big, big improvements in terms of exit velocity allowed, and yet they didn't really show up on the stat sheet. Well, Wade Miley, the stat sheet didn't look good for him last year, but he had two really good extended stretches. He started off the year 11 starts in with a 2.82 ERA, and through the first five of those starts... He was getting more than a strikeout per inning, way more, 38 strikeouts and 31 innings. Of course, he also walked 19 batters, so that wasn't good. But despite that, a a respectable 1.26 whip, or at least not terrible, and a very good 2.32 ERA through those five starts. Then in his sixth start, if you remember this, I remember this, probably not that many people do because it's Wade Miley and he wasn't big on, on the fancy radar. But he got hit by two line drives in the same game against the White Sox. I believe both in the first inning. And he wasn't really quite the same after that. He, uh, the, the ERA stayed pretty low, but the strikeouts started to disappear. 
but it wasn't really until like the second half, beginning of late July. He started to get good again, but at that point, his stats, overall stats, were so bad that most of us probably weren't paying that much attention to it. But I, I you know, I, it's an interesting season from Wade Miley, and what makes him an outlier is that a lot of the success came on getting more foul balls and and really painting the corners. Now he missed enough that his walk rate was really high, but the contact he induced was so soft that he still wasn't hurting you tremendously in whip. And he was helping you during those good stretches with ERA and strikeouts. So it's, you know, there's a lot of different ways to help and to succeed in fantasy baseball. And Wade Miley picked one of the strangest ways of doing that last year. But again, it got lost in the overall stat line, which, which wasn't very good. So I'm really interested. I'm hoping Wade Miley gets signed. And I'm really interested to see what he does in 2018. So with that said, we got to head to break. And when we come back, I'm going to be joined by Keith Farnsworth. It's going to be awesome. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Play on Fantasy Draft, the only daily fantasy site where every head-to-head contest is rake-free, including contests you create. Fantasy Draft also gives you the ability to block up to 25 players from entering your head-to-head contest. With a $1 million prize pool and 200000 to the winner, Fantasy Draft is running their inaugural NFL Live Final, the Carolina Million. Sign up today at FantasyDraft.com with promo code FNTSY and experience players first for yourself. Fantasy Draft, daily fantasy on a level playing field. The Fantasy Black Book is now opening its pages for your business. The best thing that can happen to him, to me, is Stanton coming in because it takes all the pressure off Judge. Without Stanton there this year, Judge was a guy I was running away from. With Stanton there, Judge becomes a much safer investment. The Yanks are low. The pressure will be all around these guys. It won't be on necessarily any one person here. When it comes to Judge, he's a monster. My wife actually comes in as the monster up. He's a freak. He's just a freak. And now you got Giancarlo, another freak. Listen every Sunday live, 9 a.m. Eastern, only on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. BSO Live with Robin Littal on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network where the big ballers come to listen Monday through Friday, 8 Eastern, 5 Pacific. We talk about the things that you want to talk about. Sports, entertainment, coaches, my dog L, my lady friends, your lady friends, relationships. We talk about it all on BSO Live. Never miss an episode. Hey, I'm Jeff. Look, I'm just a skeleton. I don't have an ACL anymore, but I still like to know what it means when one of my fantasy players sprains his. That's why I use the Inside Injuries app. It was created by real doctors, so you're getting information directly from people who have seen, touched, and operated on actual ACLs. Take it from me, a skeleton. If you aren't using it, you might as well just be guessing. Download the free app today unlock the secrets of injury analysis. Fantasy Sports Today. Josh McDaniels suffers from entitlement and privilege. Any time that as a grown man that you can pull a move like this, you are a chump. You took grown men and their families and moved them to Indianapolis under the pretense that they were going to be on your staff as a head coach. Next year, those men will be in the same exact predicament that they're in right now because of what you did, Josh McDaniels. You spoiled brat. Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern, only on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. 
Hello, friends. If you want to win at Fantasy Sports, wouldn't you listen to people who have already won at Fantasy Sports? I'm here to tell you about DailyRoto.com. Don't be intimidated by the Draft Kings and FanDuel Sharks, even the Fantasy Draft Sharks. The guys at DailyRoto.com have not only won a million dollars amongst one of the writers, but they've created three others. That's four people who have won millionaire contests from this content alone. Don't be fooled by screenshots talking about $25,000 winners from other places. Go to DailyRoto.com where they have a proven track record of creating millionaires. DailyRoto.com. Tom Greg Sussman sent you. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Fantasy Baseball Hour with Al Melchior. And now that that's in the name of the show, I don't need to say, and I'm your host, Al Melchior. Although I probably will. Uh, but uh, I will tell you that our guest for this segment from Fantrax, uh, where he's just been cranking out player profiles like they're going out of style, Keith Farnsworth. Keith, thank you very much for rejoining us because you were here just last week. Yeah, thanks for having me again, Al. Yeah, no, my pleasure. And, uh, you know, just unfortunately, there was so much we didn't get to last time. And it's also you gave me an opportunity to, you know, go through uh, more of the work that you've been doing uh, at, at Fantrax. So um, uh, I'm glad to have you back. But I want to start rather than focusing on some of the specific players uh, that we we're going to talk about. Uh, something that I've been talking about, I've been asking some other guests about, as we're all in this research process or maybe, you know, coming uh, coming out from our, you know, hibernation, <laughs> uh, doing all this off-season research, what is the one finding that you came across that was the most surprising to you or may have been the biggest game changer in terms of how you were going to project a player? Well, if we're not looking at, like, individual players – um, I would say probably the relationship between like launch angle and contact percentage. So if you look at a player like Greg Bird, his change in launch angle and how that affects how much contact he makes. Joey Gallo is a good example of that. His extreme launch angle really prohibits his ability to make contact and carry a good batting average. Um, if you're looking at like an individual player, probably Josh Bell and how close his entire profile looks to somebody like a Chris Bryant with the exception of a ton more ground balls. Uh, yeah, well, and, and you know, I, I took a look at the profiles that you did for, uh, for, for um, Josh Bell and for Greg Bird, with, which if I'm remembering right, Keith, and tell me if I'm not, that that's, you actually had a graphic in that Greg Bird profile showing you know, why there's this relationship between launch angle and contact percentage was was that the bird piece it, it was and actually it's it goes back you know a lot longer than what the launch angle has been more of a, a hot button topic and it just basically boils down to the the ideal launch angle is actually just a little bit larger than a level swing so you want a little bit of an uptick on your swing because that's how the ball is coming down into the zone for the player so like a Joey Gallo who has an extreme one, that bat stays in the zone for a lot less than what somebody like Christian Yelich might. And so it really prohibits those guys from hitting for a high batting average so they get more power, get more fly balls, more home runs, but it really kind of ties down their batting average. Uh, yeah, well, I would definitely recommend people check out the, the Greg Bird piece, not only for the information on Greg Bird, but that I found that that, graphic yet in there was really instructive to explain exactly what you you're just describing. Um, 
Now, I, I don't recall if you wrote anything on Yelich as part of this series, uh, but since you brought him up, <laughs> uh, how many home runs do you project for him now that he's um, you know in a much, much better environment for hitting home runs? You know, I'm actually pretty encouraged by the move for Yelich. I think he's traditionally a pretty heavy ground ball hitter, and that's been something frustrating you know, for owners over the last several years. He has the exit velocity to produce, you know, upwards of 30 home runs, but he hits too many ground balls to get there. So I actually think with the move into a stadium, you know, where Baltimore or where uh, uh, Marlins Park, not Marlins Park, I'm sorry, in Miller Park. Or, or Miller, Miller um, Park, yeah. <laughs> I, I think he's actually may change his approach just a tad bit and try and hit for more power, more fly balls. And if he does that, his stock could rise drastically in 2018. Hit maybe six to seven more home runs, still steal, you know, 20-plus bases, and he could be a pretty elite player for him. Well, that would be something. Of course, you know, I don't know if I'd want Yelich to make that switch. Uh, I'd actually, you know, that, now that I'm thinking out loud, I'd root for, I'd personally root for Yelich to not make that switch because he did make a little bit of a shift two years ago with the launch angle mm-hmm. and with, with his ground ball rate. And, you know, it, it, it paid a dividend such that, you know, even with half of the games at Marlins Park, he, he put himself in that 20 home run vicinity. And I think just by virtue of going from one of the worst home run parks to one of the best that he gains, uh, I'd say, at least five home runs. Um, Absolutely. I, yeah. OK. So, yeah, I mean, if he if he uh, you know makes a conscious choice to alter his swing for even more power, I mean, then, you know, he could really put himself in a whole different category but then you maybe you don't get the same benefits of of batting average and on base which is why i say i think i'd actually maybe prefer this this current version of uh of yelich but uh, i you know i want to get back to the 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 two first basemen josh bell and greg bird but before i do uh keith um i've just got to um just talk a little bit about fantasy factor uh they're the, the perfect daily fantasy site for the casual recreational player flatter prize pools smaller fields and single-entry contests only. Fantasy Factor runs NHL and NBA. Free rolls every week. Free entry for those? Simply sign up and enter at www.fantasyfactor.com. So let's get back to a couple of first basemen that you've talked about, uh, Keith, or that you've written about and that we have talked about. Uh, Josh Bell and Greg Bird. So you know, contrasting styles there uh, with Greg Bird, as you mentioned, uh, one of the poster children for the flyball revolution. Josh Bell, put it, you made a really neat comparison in that profile that you already alluded to with Chris Bryant. So in terms of uh, plate discipline, contact skills, there's a lot of similarity between Josh Bell and Chris Bryant. Um, I may be leaving some other type of skill out as well. But the one place where they part company is, is the launch angle. So my first question to you about Josh Bell is, is there – a particular reason to think that he might go say the Christian Yelich route and consciously, actually I shouldn't assume it was conscious for Christian Yelich, but you know, would he go that route to hit fewer ground balls and generate a lot more power? Is there a reason to think that that will actually happen? Not necessarily, but he is one of the safer profiles that I've looked at, especially for such a young hitter that he is. He's coming into a second season, full season with the pirates Playing time isn't really a concern. So if I was going to tinker with my swing a little bit to try and make the jump between, you know, 20-plus homer potential and 30-plus homer potential and, and increase my slug, 
he still has the contact rate that I think he can make that adjustment and still hit for a, a reasonably high batting average. He's always walked a ton. He's got a really clean profile. So if I was him, I mean, I, I would maybe tinker with it in spring training because it's not like he's going to get pulled out of that lineup. He's one of the best hitters they have there in Pittsburgh right now. So uh, maybe it's just uh, timing-wise it, it lines up. And if he does make that move, there's a pretty big gap in between where he's being drafted and what I expect performance-wise. Okay, so so yeah, there's kind of a floor that's very solid, but some very enticing upside. So given that, and given what we know about Greg Bird, who would you rather target this year? Well, I am drafting a lot of Josh Bell. Um, I haven't really ended up with too much Greg Bird, but he actually has some upside of his own. It's more luck-driven, in my opinion, because I think He's the type of player that could fake a high batting, not a high batting average, but an okay batting average for half a season and move himself into, you know, an ideal lineup construction where he's going to have a ton of RBIs, a ton of runs. But I think his stock is going to go up and down month by month based on his power projections and his batting average. I mean, you could have an absolutely atrocious month with Greg Bird and turn around, drop him, and then he could be a number five first basemen for the next 30 days. So I think it's going to be really frustrating to own Greg Bird, but the upside is pretty real as well. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Uh, well, I've talked a lot about uh, Rugnet Odor on the show uh, with, I think, a number of guests. Uh, so it's going to be your turn here. Uh, on fan tracks, he's currently uh, being drafted on average 104th. Uh, I think that's only just a few points above where he's being drafted uh, in NFBC leagues. So he's out of the top 100. Should he be in the top 100? Should he be considerably higher than where he is? Um, I actually have him considerably lower. I don't really like what he brings to the table. I know he's got, you know, 30 home run power. He steals some bases, and that's really appealing. But if you look at his profile as a whole, it's a really risky one. Um, and he made some adjustments, I think, in 2015 and 16 or 16 and 17 that led to his now, you know, almost sub 200 batting average. And his on base percentage last year was 252. With that type of skills, he's not going to get on base enough to, to steal bases like you would want or to score runs. He's not going to be able to drive in the amount of RBIs that you need to contribute to your team. And so I really worry about, I don't think his batting average bounces back up unless he makes another adjustment back down. Mm -hmm. And even if it does, I just really worry about his overall potential. I, I have him right around probably the 180 mark. And I, I really don't want to own him. He's probably one of the singular players that I just probably won't draft no matter what. So if he slipped to, the 170s, the 180s, I'm probably still taking other players above him because if you look at the stolen bases, I worry about that as well. His stolen base percentage success rates are terrible. Like, yeah, he had 15 stolen bases last year. He had 12 or 13 the year before. But if you look at his stolen base percentages, at some point I worry about the club just telling him, hey, hold back. It's not worth the risk. So if he stops stealing bases and that that stolen base rate goes down – from let's say 15 stolen bases down to, you know, seven or eight, 200 batting average, 30 home runs. That doesn't look so good. Well, I I can't disagree with you. And I think, you know, because of the youth and because in a way he's kind of, you know, gone downhill 
uh, at a stage where you would expect uh, to see some progress. Uh, I, I'm a little more optimistic about Odor, but that's uh, there's such a wide range of expectations uh, around him. Now, uh, Domingo Definitely. Santana is somebody that you've um, you've written about recently, and that my you know I really like him. Uh, I don't think he's much of a surprise or a sleeper anymore. But now with what's going on with uh, you know the Brewers offseason moves and them adding uh, Yelich and Kane. I, I wonder if he's going to play less this year. Uh, there doesn't seem to be much of a market for him to go somewhere where he can play every day. Is that a concern you have about Domingo Santana? It definitely is. With the how many outfielders they have there, I can't imagine Santana being the fourth outfielder, but if you're going to spend that much money on Kane, he might be. And so they're going to probably move some things around. They've talked about Braun at first base and, you know, Thames, who you know, maybe Thames is the, the hot man out there, but I definitely think that his stock drops considerably with how many outfielders they have there in uh, in Milwaukee. So when you say the stock drops, and I do agree that it does for the time being, where do you where would you put him in the rankings roughly? You know, top, you know, thirty, twenty five, you know, forty. Where 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 does he land? I think I still would like to own him. You know, top thirty outfielders. He's currently being drafted somewhere in like the seventy five range, and that's going to change dr- dramatically over the next three weeks as drafts kind of pick up. So um, if he falls too far, I'd like to own him. I guess a a question for for you real quick is who would you rather own this year? Would you rather take a shot at Ronald Acuna getting 350 at-bats or Domingo Santana getting 350 at-bats? Oh, man, that's that was a mean question. Uh, (laughs) Ah, boy. Uh, you know what? I, I would draft San. I would draft Santana just in the in the hopes that somehow the playing time gets sorted out. I, I wouldn't be ready to take the the chance on at Acuna, who I do think will meet that playing time threshold. But you know there could be rookie season adjustments. That yeah, I'm not yep. ready to draw the line there to to take Acuna over Santana just yet. No, I think I think I agree with you, and I didn't mean to, to spring on you last minute, but just kind of looking <laughs> no, that's, at those players. That's a great that, question. <laughs> looking at those players and, and what they're kind of moving in op- opposite paces right now, they're going to meet up, you know, around pick uh, 120 and ADP here pretty pretty shortly. So, um, you know, players are, are guys are going to have to make that distinguishment. Who do we who do we go with? Do I go with potentially, you know, Domingo Santana, who's been a five category contributor um, the last year, or do I go with the potential upside in Acuna? Yeah, that's that's a really really tough question. Uh, uh, all right. Well, I want to get uh, to uh, at least one more outfielder here, uh, Dexter Fowler. Um, I don't feel like it's been talked much about, but he he joined the flyball revolution last year and showed quite a bit more power. Uh, he's barely being drafted within the top sixty outfielders. Do you think that that's appropriate uh, or too high or too low? Um, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's too low. He, so in looking at, at him, he did hit for more fly balls last year, and it's kind of a trend that's been coming on for, for more than just one season. And so additional fly balls led to more home runs. Um, if you look at it a little bit closer, his home run to fly ball rate, a little bit inflated, not too much that you would see like a drastic change in what his power output would be. But, yeah, I think his, his power is kind of legitimate in, in the sense that uh, what he did last year is, is probably realistic for this year. Okay, well, uh, yeah, I, I'm glad you're you're putting that out there, and uh, you know you've got uh, uh, 
a profile written on him. You also have one on, on AJ Pollock. Uh, we're just about out of time here. So I'm just going to uh, suggest that people head on over to Fantrax and, and uh, while they're reading about Greg Bird and, and Josh Bell and you know everybody else, be sure to check out what you have to say uh, about AJ Pollock. So just to wind up here, uh, Keith, um, this is just going to be you know lightning round. Uh, in terms of ADP, Pollock is lumped in with Starling Marte, uh, Byron Buxton, and Christian Yelich. How do you rank the four of them? Well, I got Marte and Yelich really close. Pollock just a little bit behind them. And Buxton is going to be, in my opinion, probably substantially behind them. Um, again, right. kind of a, an odor type profile where it's a, a lot of risk and maybe a lot of reward. But uh, I have uh, Marte, Yelich, Pollock, and then Buxton. All right. Well, it makes sense to me. So, uh, well, anyways, Keith, thank you so much for taking the time. And uh, once again, uh, check out Keith's work, all of it if you can, over at Fantrax. Uh, Keith, Thanks, uh, have a great day. Thanks for joining me. All right, Thanks. folks. Well, uh, stick around. We'll be right back with Brett Sayer from Baseball Perspectives. Muscle Maker Grill was made for baseball season. Muscle Maker Grill supplies you with delicious, healthy meals that will give you energy to cheer on your team week after week. Whether you're craving flavorful salad, packed wraps, or guiltless entrees, Muscle Maker Grill has you covered. Hosting a game? No problem. Our catering packages will have your whole team satisfied with flavors ranging from Italian to Tex-Mex and much, much more. Visit MuscleMakerGrill.com for your nearest location and have a winning season. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-3793 immediately. That's 800-955-3793. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything. Editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-3793 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-3793. That's 800-955-3793. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-3793 for your free author submission kit. Fantasy Sports Today. Brand new third baseman of the New York Mets, and that is Todd Frazier. He wanted to stay in New York. He's a Thomas River, New Jersey guy. For the price they got him at, I can't kill it, but Todd Frazier's skills have been in the decline. My question is, is Todd Frazier really that much better than, say, Wilma Flores? Am I allowed to speak about Todd Todd Frazier? Matt is right. (laughs) (laughs) Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern, only on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Skix sneakers are taking over tailgates and alumni homes across America. Skix canvas high top, low top, slip on, and kids tennis style sneakers designed in officially licensed college colors and logos is a must have for every college fan's wardrobe. Fun, fashionable, and comfortable. Whether you're at the big game or watching the game at home, Skix helps fans perform better. Go to Skix.com and use promo code FNTSY for 15% off your pair now. That's Skix.com. Skix sneakers, the soul of a true fan. 
BSO Live with Robert Littal on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network where the big ballers come to listen Monday through Friday, 8 Eastern, 5 Pacific. We talk about the things that you want to talk about. Sports, entertainment, coaches, my dog L, my lady friends, your lady friends, relationships. We talk about it all on BSO Live. Never miss an episode. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Fantasy Baseball Hour. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And I uh, want to thank Keith Farnsworth for joining us last segment. And I was absolutely remiss in mentioning that you can not only find his work at Fantrax, but at Baseball Perspectus. And that also helps me slide right into this segment where I'm going to be joined from Brett Sayer of Baseball Perspectus. Uh, Brett, thank you so much for uh, joining me on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. How's it going? Yeah. Uh, good. Very good. Uh, you're here on a momentous day. Day, first day of the shitball hour. Uh, so uh, glad to have you on and glad to, to help uh, have you help me shore up uh, an area. I feel like I've, I've not spent enough time uh, on this offseason, and that is uh, uh, Dynasty Leagues. But before uh, I get into that, uh, today is Pakoda Day at uh, Baseball Prospectus, so I would assume that means we can uh, go and dig into some projections. Uh, but what exactly do uh, do do you have over a baseball prospectus today? No, we've got we've got everything today. We've got uh, we've got standings projections. We've got individual player projections, percentiles, ten uh, year projections on player pages. Uh, you you name it, it is uh, it is there. It is a very very exciting day for us. We've got a lot of content that's going to be supporting it um, from today through the end of the week. Um, so if you are uh, if you are into projections, it is uh, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, I think so, too. So uh, do go check that out. Uh, and I'm going to now toss a question at you that I uh, asked Keith in the last segment that I've been asking uh, a lot of people coming on the show and been asking of myself, which is that as we come out of our uh, off-season research mole holes, what's the, the one takeaway that's maybe been the most surprising to you, uh, the finding that maybe has been the, the biggest game changer in terms of how you value or look at a, a player for 2018? I think the biggest thing for me is not is not about any particular players in general, but about reevaluating our uh, our fantasy context. You know, we we spend a lot of time this time of year, you know, looking at individual players and drilling down into a lot of details, just because you know there's there's nothing going on. It's fun to drill into the details when there's nothing going on. But uh, you know, our fantasy environment has been uh, has been drastically changing over the last three years, and it's changing in in two major ways. One one obviously is the 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 power on the offensive side has been drowning out all of the other. Um, all of the other categorical gains and, you know, renders a lot of power hitters to be slightly less valuable than we're used to. And you kind of have to kind of have to hit the reset button on your, uh, uh, on your brain. I mean, I know, you know, you and I have been doing this, uh, doing this long enough that we, uh, that we know when we got into the era of, of low power from, uh, from what it used to be the, uh, uh, you know, in the early, in the early two thousands, but um, we're, we're getting pretty close to that again. And, um, 
it really, you know, it really makes you rethink what 25 homers means, what 30 homers means, you know, and, and conversely, when you have more of those players, you have fewer stolen bases and what, you know, what 20 steals means. 20 steals is a much bigger deal than it was five years ago. Um, and uh, it's it's how all these individual players fit into these contexts, um, and the, you could say the same thing about pitchers. You know, you know, pitchers are throwing fewer and fewer innings, so the the guys who do throw the amount of innings that we're used to at the level of performance that we want to see out of high level pitchers are becoming more and more valuable uh, in the in the overall context as uh, as fewer pitchers uh, as fewer pitchers throw the number of innings that we want to see. Yeah, and there's just so many uh, you know sort of collateral impacts to all those those trend changes that you're talking about. So yeah, we have to recalibrate uh, what's elite, uh, what is you know just sort of more ordinary in these different categories, and um, I think players with different profiles then become more important, something that I've been doing uh, in early drafts, uh, you know, and time will tell if this makes, makes sense and if it's an effective strategy, but I've actually been, uh, you know, putting middle relievers who might throw 80 innings with good ratios and a fair number of Ks on, onto my, uh, onto my radar. So somebody just as an example, like Ismero Petit, who I wouldn't have thought twice about last year might be, you know, might be a late rounder for me in, in some roto formats. So, you know, there's, it's it's a topsy turvy world. Yeah, I mean there's there is less with relievers throwing a little bit more and starters throwing less. There's there's not a whole lot of difference between a uh, you know an eighty to eighty five inning reliever who puts up really good ratios and strikes out more than the batter an inning versus you know a starter that throws one hundred seventy five hundred eighty innings but you know only strike out one. 35 140 and has you know extremely pedestrian ratios uh, yeah. at least for at least for mixed leagues it's it's a different uh, it's a different proposition yeah absolutely is uh well let me uh turn my attention since uh you know i promised to make this a focus today uh onto uh prospects and and uh dynasty drafts and every year over baseball prospectus you do uh, an expert's uh prospect mock and uh looks like you drew the the top pick this year. So uh you went with Ronald Acuna. I don't know that I mean I can't imagine that there was too much controversy around that. But then uh you came back around uh nineteen picks later, or I'm sorry, uh twenty nine picks later, fifteen team snake draft, and got Ryan McMahon. Um so what are your were you you know were you happy to get McMahon? Was this more kind of you know you got sniped on some players you wanted more? Uh, but let's start with McMahon. What what do you see for him this year? Uh, I see him getting at least a reasonable opportunity at first base against against righties. I mean, you you never know. I mean, Colorado, Colorado could up and sign somebody tomorrow to take all of that playing time away from him. But he did enough in Colorado Springs to you know to really prove himself worthy of uh, worthy of the opportunity. Um, I think uh, I think in cores, I think he's got the ability to hit for power. I think he's got the ability to hit for average. I think you know I think if everything works out. He could put up similar stats to what Corey Dickerson did when he was in cores, and I mean that's that's ceiling, and I certainly wouldn't project that. But you know, you dial that back by about eighty percent, and you know, as long as he's eligible at a place other than first base, which you know I think he's got a reasonably good chance to uh, to be. You know, you're you're talking about someone who's uh, you know borderline borderline top twenty 
borderline top 10, maybe, you know, 12th or 13th at, uh, at either second base or third base, depending on where he, uh, where he grabs that eligibility. He's capable of playing either. I don't think he's going to play third base unless Aronado gets hurt, but, uh, you know, hopefully for all of us, that doesn't happen. Yeah. Be nice if he picked up a little time at second too, uh, where uh, I think he played a little bit last year. Yeah. Um, so was there anybody uh, that you got sniped on as you were waiting to make that pick that you would have liked even better than McMahon? Yeah, I was uh, the the guy who I really wanted, who um, who Craig took two picks before me was uh, was Keston Hira, who's the uh, uh, number one, uh, who's the first round pick of the Brewers from uh, the 2017 draft. Uh, the guy can just really hit, um, and I, I think he can maintain second base eligibility. He's going to move really quickly through the minors, um, and you're you're looking at a guy who uh, at Miller Park could you know could hit over 300 with uh, with 20 to 25 home runs at least and uh, uh, really, really solidify a uh, middle infield for you. Yeah, well, they could use somebody like him right now at second base, uh, but we're going to have to wait a while. Um, so, you know, the Dynasty League preparation is obviously a little bit different than your, your typical redraft league. Uh, I do get occasionally questions from people who are switching from, or not necessarily switching, but adding on a Dynasty League after having played redrafts for several years. What would be your most critical piece of advice that you would give to somebody just starting dynasty league right now? Um, you have to, if you're going to start a dynasty league, you have to really pay attention to where your team is. The most important thing about being in a dynasty league is understanding where you are in the contention cycle. There's, there's value to everybody in dynasty leagues. There's value to prospects. There's value to 35 year old veterans who are still producing, um, and, and everybody in between. But, you know, the, the worst, the worst thing you can do in a dynasty league is just kind of be all over the place and not have, and not have a cohesive strategy. Um, if you have a strategy in mind, whether it's whether it's rebuilding, which is a, a lot of people's favorite strategy, and you know I, I think people take a little too far, um, or whether it is uh, you know using using trade chips to uh, to you know to remain afloat in a in a competitive cycle, uh, I, I think as long as you're consistent across uh, across your roster, I, I think you're I think you're, uh, you, you're you've got half the battle right there. Yeah. Now, um, you know, I, I, I really hear what you're saying. I feel like it could be addressed directly to me because, uh, you know, up until this year, uh, you, you know, you'd invite me into uh, a dynasty league. I was in for a few years and and I apologize, Brett. I had to had to drop out uh, to try to keep my uh, league load manageable, which is the, the, the yearly struggle. But it, that was it, is, it is a struggle for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know it is. But I, I didn't get, you know, I never really got anywhere with that team and i was in sort of this this no man's land that you're you know sort of telling people to try to stay out of but it's you know i mean is there is there a third path uh that's you know that's a legit path where you've got some big name players uh but the cupboard's empty in terms of of prospects but you know still uh you know to try to hang on to a, a few um you know, solid veterans who are not or better than solid veterans, you know, who are going to have value for years to come, most likely is, you know, is there room for that? Or yeah, absolutely. Not? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's definitely room for that. And there's, you know, there are ways to, there are ways to leverage, 
you know, a, a bare cupboard into uh, into real current value. I mean, you have to. The, the the thing about that is you have to you have to kind of churn a little bit. With you know, you pick up pick up some prospects here and there that are you know that are a little hot, and then see who see who ends up sticking. If you you know, if you really have a you know a bad farm system in a dynasty league, you could you know you could really churn prospects and and wait until uh, wait until a couple of guys start to get some national coverage, and then um, and then just trade them for uh, for what you can find um even when you even when you can't do that you know you can always you can always improve your team through uh through consolidation which is you know something that people are generally on the lookout for and don't don't love to that people don't like to to uh disaggregate very valuable assets but you know you can make it worth your while for them and then you can pick up you know, major league options that can fill in uh, at those spots without having to dig into the uh, to your prospects. So uh, there's there are many many ways to be uh, to be competitive in a uh, in the dynasty league. That's the uh, that's the reason why uh, the reason why it's my favorite format to play. Yeah, well, uh, and as I was saying earlier in the show, you're one of the the leading voices out there in terms of you know giving advice for this format. Uh, and on Baseball Prospectus, uh, you're soon going to be releasing your uh, top 101, your 101 top prospects uh, entering into this year. And so obviously that's a very different type of ranking than just, you know, a straight up redraft ranking like most of us in the industry provide. What are what are the criteria uh, in judging players value? And, you know, what's what's sort of the window that you're looking at in terms of, you know, the number of years that you're you're assessing value for the players on that ranking list. It's really an unlimited window. I mean, prospects prospects move, you know, slow or quickly depending on their their progress. You could have you could have a guy who is who is 18 just out of the draft who ends up in the majors in two years versus a different one who ends up in the majors in five years. Um, there's no you know there's no fluid and predictable path for the most part. So you know it's really just about finding the upside, finding the risk and trying to trying to balance the two in terms of uh in terms of how they fit together. I mean, you've got you know, there there are a lot of examples of this towards the you know, towards the top of our, our list this year. You have You've got uh, in the in the middle infield. You've got uh, Fernando Tatis, who's a you know is a really exciting prospect. He just turned 19 years old. He destroyed the Midwest League last year. Um, you know he'll move relatively quickly for someone who's so young. But you know on the other hand, you have a guy like Labor Torres, who is going to be in the majors in a month. Doesn't. It probably doesn't have quite the ultimate ceiling that Tatis has, but he's going to beat him to the majors by at least a year, and uh, you know, and his you know he's he's performed in the upper minors uh, so far, so he's he's clearly safer. So it's it's uh, it's finding the right balance, not getting too crazy about upside, but also not settling too much for safety. I mean, if you took the safe prospects last year, you'd have a roster of. Dansby Swanson and J.P. Crawford, and not that I think those guys are necessarily bad, but you know there there has to be there has to be a little juice to what you're uh, to what you're investing in. 
Yeah, well, I think, yeah, putting those names out there with, with the 2020 hindsight, that you know, gives everybody a good idea why uh, you, you don't just want to go, go the safe route uh, all the time. So, uh, well, Brett, I really want to thank you for uh, joining us here today and uh, you know, g- getting us a little deeper into some uh, dynasty analysis. Uh, do we have a, a date on when we can expect to see the uh, top 101? Uh, it is uh, it is almost complete. I, I expect it to be up at some point next week. I don't know exactly which day. It depends how uh, quickly the written side of it comes along. Um, but uh, hopefully Wednesday or Thursday. All right. Well, sounds good. So you go to Baseball Prospectus. You come for the uh, Pakoda Day. You stick around for the unveiling of the Top 101. Sounds like a, a good bargain all the way around. So, uh, well, Brett, thank you for uh, joining me here. Hopefully can uh, have you back on uh, again sometime soon. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. All right. My pleasure, Brett. So, uh, yeah, thanks to, to Brett Sayer and also uh, to his colleague Keith Farnsworth for joining me today. And thank you for uh, checking in on the first ever edition of the Fantasy Baseball Hour with Al Melchior. So I'll be back here with the same name, same time, 3 Eastern in the afternoon, noon on the Pacific uh, time zone, and uh, be right here on Fantasy Sports Radio. So have a great day, everybody. See you tomorrow. Does your